Towards the end of this conversation, my guest Jim and I press into this idea of how we can step into spaces when we don't have the capacity. And I mention that because right now I'm struggling. Based on an at-home test, I have lost my two-year streak of not getting COVID, and I'm currently feeling what feels like a hefty head cold. So these aren't the conditions I would normally like to record. However, I've been looking forward to getting this episode out for a while. Now, Jim and I didn't know each other, and we connected through Podmatch. But interestingly, not long before we recorded, he was actually in my neighborhood, and we have a mutual friend. And Jim presses us into something that Christian began and that you're going to hear a lot more of. The idea of what sitting and suffering looks like when you're the one caring for someone who is in the midst of the suffering. Jim has written a book called The Suffering Guy, where he presses into this idea of what his suffering was like in the midst of his wife's suffering. But he actually gives us a spoiler to his book, that as we're navigating suffering, whether ours or another's, Jesus offers us a beautiful opportunity in the midst. You're listening to episode 123 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for the way that you can bring about connections. I thank you for the way that you can create spaces for conversation, even when timing gets tricky or when headaches are in the mix or when there's distractions. We know you have the power to do abundantly more. And so we want to give this conversation to you. We want to give you our thoughts, our plans, our ideas. We give it all to you, knowing that you can take that and do something amazing with it that we might not have expected. So we give it to you. We thank you in advance for how you're going to work. And we just thank you for your loving presence. Let's pray in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Jim, <laughs> I'm excited for us to connect because you and I don't know each other. Yeah. But through this pod matching service, we find out that we actually have some real small world connections with a mutual friend. Yeah. You were just within minutes of me just a couple of weeks ago. And so it's just really funny when these small world connections end up happening. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I wish I would have known you like three weeks ago. It would have been awesome. We <laughs> right? could have been live and in person. It would have been beautiful. But this is good. Yes. We could see each other virtually. We can hear each other. And I'm excited about our conversation too, because I don't know a whole lot about you, but- <laughs> you've got a book with suffering in the title. Yes. <laughs> and so it's a perfect fit for this series. But before we jump into the conversation, you know, for those that are listening, what would you want them to know about who you are as we jump into this conversation? Yeah. So the title of the book is The Suffering Guy. Isn't that an amazing title? The <laughs> subtitle is The Title I Never Wanted. I guess that's what I am. Is I'm a suffering guy. My wife has a rare chronic illness and it really set in three months after we got married. It was the honeymoon coming to a quick stop. And for the last 15 years, she's steadily gone downhill. The generic story is that she's spent hundreds of nights in the hospital and has had dozens of surgeries and two near-death experiences that were so traumatic and so scary. And so I guess what I want the audience to know is that I'm a guy who's suffered in weird, profound ways. And yet at the same time, I'm just a guy, right? Like suffering is part of our human narrative. Mm. So that makes me nothing special. Like I've learned a lot of my suffering and, and that's good. Praise God for that. But there's nothing too special about me. I'm a pastor. I'm a coach. I guess I'm an author, which is weird to say out loud. And I love to share my story with people whenever I can. Yeah. 
Well, and conveniently, we have an opportunity for you to share your story. Yes. <laughs> what I'm intrigued too, even just in that Cliff Notes version, there's so much that I want to know. So Jim, tell me a story. Okay. Let, that's a good setup. Let's do this. <laughs> so my wife, Alicia, has a rare chronic illness. It's called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It's a connective tissue disease. If you've ever seen a contortionist, anyone that can bend their joints in any direction, you know, like a pretzel or whatever, they've got the joint version of this disease. Alicia and I jokingly call it the cool version because you've got some party tricks. That's pretty neat. It's really not cool at all. It can be very painful, but Alicia's version is generally localized in her abdomen. So all of her organs in her midsection, almost all of them have prolapsed or fallen out of place. Mm. Um, there's cow tissue, there's meshing, there's tacks trying to keep things where they're supposed to be. And her digestive system is just a mess. There's no muscle tone pushing food through. So three months after we got married, that's the first inkling that we had that something was wrong is suddenly she couldn't keep any food down. She was throwing up for hours a day. And at first it just seemed like, oh, you know, you've got the stomach flu. This is fine. You know, like a few days, maybe a week, you'll be fine. No big deal. So I, I just didn't think anything of it until it just never was going away. When we started to panic, like, oh no, there's legitimately something wrong here. We started to try to find doctors. We scrambled. We wanted to get answers as fast as possible. And it just wasn't easy. Like the medical system in the U.S. is great, but it's not perfect, right? I don't think perfect in anything actually exists, but, you know, we just couldn't get the answers as fast as we wanted. And we found this one doctor who was really kind and caring. He seemed to really connect with us and vice versa. And he was pretty honest. He's like, hey, as a GI doctor, I have to tell you, I don't and none of us know enough about the GI tract. You know, what works in one person doesn't work in the other person. Like we are so complicated. And so my goal is just to try to figure out, get as much data on what's going on with you, Alicia, so that we can, you know, have the best educated guess of what's going to work for you. And I so appreciated his realness. It was really vital for me. So he actually suggested, hey, I think you should go up to the Mayo Clinic up in Minnesota because they've got all the world-class stuff, like all the best tests and theoretically all the best doctors. And so he wrote this great reference letter and we found ourselves, you know, months four, five, and six of our marriage up in Rochester, Minnesota, which dude, Paul, I don't know why they send sick people to Minnesota in the middle of winter. <laughs> like that's just so unbelievably cruel. Yeah. But, you know, that's where we found ourselves. And there's parts of it that was really great. Like the tests that they do are next level. Now, terrible. Alicia had some of the most invasive and humiliating tests and things that she had to go through. I won't tell all of them, but there was one particular thing that she had to do that was generically called biofeedback. Biofeedback is like trying to train your muscles to rework or train your body to do what it's supposed to. So this form of biofeedback that she had to go into, I guess, can I be a little crude here? It was poop school. She was being trained how to go to the bathroom again because it was like, clearly the problem must be at the bottom, you know, end of things. So yeah. let's train you how to do this again. So humiliating. Literally, there was a woman who would sit underneath a false bottom toilet looking up and wow. like, hey, Alicia, like strain here, like relax here, push here. Are you kidding me? Like, this is awful. And, you know, Alicia was a, a trooper. She got through all of it. And it was hard because I had just spent all my vacation time on the wedding and the honeymoon and 
I had no vacation time left. Mm. I could not be in Minnesota with her the entire time. We enlisted friends and family to be up there with her. When time came for us to end our Mayo experience and the managing doctor was going to sit down with us and, and say, all right, this is what the problem is. This is our plan. We're going to do you know X, Y, and Z for you. Like th This is the big deal. And so I'm like, all right, I'm not missing that. So I came up to Minnesota and we walked into this room and I think both of us were really nervous as we're sitting there. The doctor walks in and he just jumps right to it. And he says, Alicia, here's the deal. You're a ruminator. And I'm not a very smart guy. I'm typically the slowest guy in the room. I was in this room for sure because I had no idea what he was talking about. Alicia's really smart. She got it right away. And she's like, I'm sorry, do you think I'm crazy? Is that what you're saying? And he said, no, not crazy. I just think that you have some psychological things that you just haven't processed through. And, you know, these things have affected so much of your body. It's caused physical problems in your body. So I think we just need to get you some counseling so you can process through that. And then this stuff should all go away. Hmm. And as a new husband, I would love to tell you, oh, I knew my wife and I knew how to advocate for her, but I had no idea. I was just clueless. I sat in this stupid room sitting on my hands, like not defending my wife, not standing up in any form or fashion. And, and she really didn't need me. So I feel better about that. But Alicia's like, well, help me make sense of this. What about the anal rectal manometry that I did? Like what happened with that test? And so he'd pull it up and be like, oh yeah, that's interesting. Well, what about the biofeedback? Like you had me sit on this toilet seat and had this woman watch me. Like what was the outcome of that? And he's like, clearly like looking at the charts for the first time. Oh man. And he's like, oh man, this is, yeah, that's, that is interesting. Well, hey, look, our time's up. I have to go on to another patient. If you would like a referral for counseling, please let me know. Let, let our office know we're happy to help. And Alicia's like, no, 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 you're not leaving. I'm not satisfied with this. And you know, this guy really didn't have the time for us. And on one level, I don't blame him because there's a lot of people up at the clinic trying to get help. But his excuse for this was Alicia has a dad who generally isn't a great guy. And he was pretty abusive to Alicia's mom. And she had noted that in the first interview three months prior. Mm. And that's the thing he latched onto. Like, oh, there's abuse in your family. That abuse really almost never came down on her. If she maybe got in the middle of something, like there was yelling and there was tension, of course. It wasn't great. But the thing I regret most is not being able to say, yo, man, like, She's the most emotionally and spiritually well-adjusted person you've ever met. We're not accepting this answer. Mm -hmm. So we left Mayo. We left Minnesota very dejected. We were crushed. Mm -hmm. And part of me really wanted this answer of Alicia being a ruminator to be real. But we knew it wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And we had seen enough doctors. And this one doctor, another doctor in the whole scheme of the three months, said, Alicia, it is so clear to me that you've got this Ehlers-Danlos thing and there's no cure for this. There's nothing really that can be done other than treating the symptoms. That gave us a little bit of solace, but we went back home to St. Louis at that point and saw that original doctor, that kind, caring guy that suggested us to go up to Mayo. And we met with him and man, this was another like small doctor's office room where the tension was thick for me because I thought there was a real chance that he might affirm the decision that this doctor said. Like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I didn't know about potential abuse. Like you, you must be a ruminator. Mm. So as he's going through these test results and combing through it all, I mean, pages and pages of stuff, mm -hmm. I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh, I want to throw up. 
Alicia is the one that threw us up. She's the pro at that, but I'm like trying to hold it in because I'm so anxious. I'm so nervous about what's about to happen. And he looks up and he says, honey, it is not in your head. It is in your gut. And I'm so sorry that that was your experience at Mayo, but I'm so glad that you went regardless because we've got all the data we need to be able to take care of you. And within several months, he was able to identify that the disease was primarily in her colon. Mm -hmm. And so she had her colon removed all but two inches. And for the next few months after her colon was removed, she got better. Mm -hmm. I had my wife back. It was amazing. She could eat. She could do all the normal things that I knew of her when we were dating. And it was incredible. Sadly, the disease continued to spread through her digestive system and that season of improvement faded away and we quickly found ourselves back in a season of decline. And so for the last 15 years, it's largely been one big decline of her health. Alicia's amazing. She's smart. She's strong-willed, but literally she's half the woman I met. She's 5'8", like 67 pounds. You know, she's skin and bones. She's really fragile. And I've hated all of this. Like it's been so much suffering. I mean, literally I've hated so much of it and I've prayed so much for God to heal her, but he's never saw fit to do that. And I've been on a journey of trying to figure out how to accept that. When we got back from Minnesota and we started this process of, you know, cutting out our colon and all this stuff, I started to grieve in real ways. I wasn't really sure how to grieve. Often we don't have a roadmap for that. Mm -hmm. And so all I could figure out how to do was to isolate, to pull away. And it was not good. It's not a good strategy to pull away from community in these moments, but it made sense to me because I hurt. I just hated the emotions in me. But I'm so glad that Alicia and I were part of a really good church in St. Louis that knew us and loved us. And they came alongside of us in profound ways. They held our arms up when we were weak and weary, mm -hmm. just like Aaron and her did when Moses was weak and weary and not able in his own strength to help fight the battle that was happening in the valley. Yeah. This community was amazing, and I'm so thankful for them, more thankful than they would ever know. And I remember at the time when all of this is happening, God's like, hey, are you paying attention to this? Because this is profound. Like, this is the church actually being the church. I need you to pay attention. Mm. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know what that means, God. That feels like a riddle or something. Mm -hmm. So over a number of years, as Alicia continues to fade and to struggle more and more, I feel like God starts to poke me about going into ministry. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh man, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, ministry's supposed to be complicated. If you're doing it well, it's going to be complicated. Lord, I want no part of that. <laughs> I'm not about that at all. Like, look at the complicated life you've given me. Mm -hmm. I just can't do it. There's no way. He just continued to poke away and I appreciated his efforts, but I gave him the Heisman stiff arm every time. Mm -hmm. I was not about it. But eventually he broke through with me and it took a major act of God to break through to me. Man, I'll try to make this story concise because it could go really long. It's an amazing story. But Alicia and I wanted to be parents so badly. Mm. We had seen every doctor in St. Louis, like every specialist, anyone we could figure out to meet. Like, is it possible? And every doctor would say the same thing. Nope. Impossible for you to get pregnant and even more impossible for you to carry a pregnancy. So sorry, it's not in the cards for you. We had a friend that was like, she's a strong believer. She called us up one day and said, hey, uh, I was praying today and I felt like God was telling me that I should be your surrogate. Mm. <laughs> so wow. you could borrow my uterus. <laughs> like, Who makes that offer? Like that's, right. that's pretty absurd, right? 
So we had never considered that. And frankly, we didn't know how to feel about it. Are we like doing something that God wouldn't approve of? Mm -hmm. Are we playing God? Is this a, a morally reprehensible thing to do? So we went to this doctor and we knew he was a believer. We had met with him once and we went back to him to ask him like the moral questions. Can you guide us through this? And this doctor started to defend why he does surrogacy a lot and why God gave us science and he was defending it. He was using scripture. It was amazing. And then Paul, he just stopped talking. Mm. And I was like, uh, Dr. DeRosa, are you having a stroke? Are you okay? <laughs> Blink twice if you need help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I feel like God is telling me to tell you something. It's like the last thing I want to tell you. Like, well, okay, well, I'm kind of freaked out. Like, go for it, man. He said, I think God is telling me that you need to die to this dream, to give this up. Ooh. And I'm so sorry to tell you this. Like, I'm shaking right now. This is awful. At that moment, I think Alicia and I were like, okay, that's God. That was clearly something from him. Mm. And so we walked out of that office and thanked him profusely. And we just owned it. We were like, yeah, let's give up and let's just be the best aunts and uncles we can be. And it's great. That night she got pregnant. Like, I'm not kidding. That freaking night. <laughs> you know, we went back to see Dr. DeRosa. It was like a party and a celebration, but there was a long road ahead of us. And it seemed like he was like scared for us of, is this going to be successful? Well, maybe not. You know, don't go tell everyone that you've gotten pregnant because if you do, you will just exponentially increase your grief if you lose this baby. Mm. Don't tell no one because that's wrong. You need <laughs> yeah. some people to walk beside you, but don't tell everyone. And, you know, long story short, God gave us a little boy. Mm. Alicia got better during her pregnancy. Wow. She had these two seasons where she got better. And I was watching a miracle happen before our eyes. And I'm so thankful. I mean, truly, I was petrified that we were going to lose the baby, that I was going to lose her. Mm -hmm. I could see it so clearly. Like, this is so risky. Yeah. But she did great. She carried this baby to almost 32 weeks. My little boy Anderson is now 11 years old and it's insane. Like I, I'm so thankful. And I remember praying over this little boy. He was three pounds, 14 ounces, had to spend 26 days in the NICU praying over this kid. I'm like, God, you are so good. I know healthy people that don't get this gift and it makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Like this is truly absurd. Why would you give this to us? I don't know, but you must have a calling on this kid's life. Like Anderson has some calling. So help me to be a good earthly dad to prepare him for whatever you, his heavenly father's calling him to. And God showed up and was like, Hey, so like, I've been poking you for ministry. What if in like 20 or 30 years, I ask Anderson to go into ministry and maybe he's got a good excuse. Maybe he's got a bad excuse as his earthly dad. How would you feel? Um, God, wow. Okay. I guess I, I disappointed. I would feel disappointed <laughs> and God disappeared. Let me sit in that disappointment until I relented and said, okay, fine. <laughs> what, where, how answer the questions and we'll do it. And yeah. we packed up all of our stuff and said goodbye to all of our dear community and moved out to Denver for me to go to seminary. And mm -hmm. now I get to be in ministry, helping other people through their stories of suffering or what I call their expectation gaps, because turns out I'm an expectation gap expert. <laughs> it's not what I wanted, but it's the story that God has written in my life. And I get to use that story. I get to use my experiences. I get to use what I know of scripture to help people in their own gaps. I hate all this suffering. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. I've prayed for it to go away and I've wrestled with this. Like if God made you the offer that it could all go away, would you take it? Mm -hmm. And right now I don't know that I would take that deal. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Like that maybe makes me sound like a terrible husband. Like I want Alicia healthy more than anything. Yeah. But maybe a little bit more than that, I want God to use me. And I want to be able to help people learn to trust him no matter what and to celebrate him no matter what. So like if it took away my ministry, yeah, maybe I don't want the suffering to go away. Yeah. First, I appreciate everything that you shared. And there's just so many different directions that we can go. But I do want to touch on what you just said, because, you know, right before our conversation, I rushed back from the community Bible study that I facilitate. And we were tapping into some of these concepts. We were talking about the verse where it says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Yeah. And it's the idea that by default, we fear death, Mm -hmm. we fear loss. And yet, because the wisdom of God is foolishness to man, here is this passage that says, actually, death has lost its victory. Yeah. Death has lost its sting. Mm -hmm. Christ has the victory. But the reason we get tripped up is because we have our ideas of how the world works. We have our ideas of what we want, of what we need, what we shouldn't have. Mm. The closer we get to God, the more we begin to realize how life actually works, what full life actually is. And you can get to the place where the Apostle Paul was. He says, you know, whether I live or die, (laughs) it doesn't matter to live as Christ or to die is gain. Like basically he's saying it actually doesn't matter if I die. Yeah. Because God's inviting me to something beyond me. Mm -hmm. He's keeping me alive for the sake of you. So I'm here for you. Right. And so I hear you (laughs) and I resonate with you. And it is this odd tension that we find ourselves having to clarify. Of course, I want my wife to be healthy, but also yeah. <laughs> if God gave me the offer to take it away, I wouldn't. Like People could hear that and be like, that makes no sense. That's right. And they're right. <laughs> it does not make logical sense because this world actually exists on a plane far beyond human logic. That's right. One thing that I really wanted to press into first is you wrote a book called The Suffering Guy. Mm-hmm. You didn't write a book called My Suffering Wife. Yes. And by all counts, your wife is suffering. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's the one physically suffering. But your book presses us into a topic in the sphere of suffering that we don't often press into. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful to press into it again here. I actually got to press in a little bit with a guy named Christian who wrote a book basically detailing his experience of his wife having some really intense mental health challenges and what it looked like to remain in relationship, in marriage for decades through some really hard suffering. Hmm. And it was a book focused on the person caring for the person that's struggling. Yes. Because when he was in that place, there were no resources for that person. There are no resources for the suffering that that person is navigating. That's right. They don't exist because it seems like a selfish thing. Why am I going to talk about my suffering when my spouse or my friend or my family member is the one who's actually suffering? That's right. How can I complain? And so- God brought you to a place where you not just had to affirm the reality that the caregiver can suffer, but God invited you to publicly (laughs) affirm and put it out there. So tell me a little more about that element of pressing into the reality that, yes, your wife is suffering, but also you needed to be honest about the suffering you were navigating. Man, that is such a good question, Paul. Honestly, I felt like there was no resources for me over the years. One couple that we've looked up to so much is Jay and Catherine Wolf. They've got this great ministry called Hope Heals. She had a brainstem aneurysm and should have died. She's mm. got these great deficiencies in her body. She's you know half disabled and they encourage people with disabilities and different suffering. And it's great, but it's probably just more slanted to the wife. It's slanted to the one that is going through the actual suffering, the actual pain. 
but divorces when there's chronic illness in it, the divorce rate jumps up a ton. Yeah. Yeah. And when the wife is the one suffering, divorces jump even more. Like there's a reason that couples are seven times more likely to divorce if the wife is the one who gets sick compared to the husband. Hmm. It's because we don't know how to do this. It's also because we isolate and we don't let other people in. We don't find Aaron and hers in our lives. And we don't know how to get that encouragement. So I wanted to write this to men. I wanted to write this to the caregiver. But also I wanted to say this affects all of us. Like I realized that Alicia's suffering is my suffering, but it's also Anderson's suffering. It's also her mom's. It's my sister's. Like we are all suffering in concentric circles. And that has to be denoted because if we just try to say, okay, well, like that's her thing man, we're missing out on the opportunity to suffer with Christ. So you ask about the title, The Suffering Guy. I'm going to give away the ending of the book. Is that okay? Can I do that here? It's allowed. Spoiler alert. (laughs) All right, here it is. Here it is. So I'm actually not the suffering guy. Mm. I'm a suffering guy, and Alicia is a suffering gal. But the suffering guy is Jesus. Like, come on, let's like, he's the one that's suffered so much. Like we just celebrated Good Friday and as a family, we watched the passion Mm. and it's jarring just how violent and how terrible that death was. Mm -hmm. That suffering was real. And let's be honest, Paul, Jesus continues to suffer our sin to this day. He's the suffering guy. And there's this great verse in Romans eight that says that we are adopted by God. And I love that. I want to be adopted by God. Like, I'm all about that. (laughs) And it goes even further to say, if that's true, we then get to be heirs with Christ. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, this keeps getting better. I want that. Can you imagine the inheritance that Jesus is going to get? I want every single part of that. Like, can I sit at your right hand? Please. Like, I want it. But it doesn't stop there and it doesn't get better. It says that we will become full heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Christ. And that scripture at some point took on ridiculous life of like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I want the first part, but I don't want the second part. But yet at the same time, I have the second part. Like I am suffering. It seems like it's a matter of who am I going to suffer with? Am I going to suffer with Christ? Am I going to suffer with Christ's people? Or am I going to suffer in isolation? Because that's what my early plan was. And I got to tell you, it wasn't working for me. It just wasn't. I'm really thankful for that realization. And it's changed quite simply everything in my life. Like I can wake up in the morning and say, Lord, this is going to be a hard day, but I get to suffer with you. And that's pretty good. Again, it's foolishness. Wisdom God is foolishness to man. This is foolishness, what we're talking about, because our default understanding would be the better life is the life without suffering. But again, what we're talking about is, you know, there's the passage that says to him who's able to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Mm. And you have stated that given the choice of a life without suffering or the life where God is doing abundantly more and suffering still exists, you would choose the latter. It really indicates just how abundant the abundantly more is. Mm -hmm. What God is doing is so abundant that it's outweighing the depth of the suffering. The suffering that you noted, you hate. You hate the (laughs) suffering. So much. And somehow what God is doing is so abundantly more, it's tipping the scales. A passage that came up during the community Bible study 
is from Philippians 1, and it's where Paul is talking about this idea of living and dying. Mm. And he says, starting in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Mm. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will bound on account of me. And here's the thing. He says, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in my body. And we got to remember what it meant for him to remain in his body. Yes. Because his body was battered and bruised. Yes. I mean, there is a long list of hardships his body endured. It's incredible. We're talking physically, being stoned and lashed and shipwrecked. We're talking also emotionally, right? There were people that were in his life that he cared about that then disowned him, that questioned him. People that he was pouring himself out for that questioned his motives, people that misrepresented him, people that accused him. This is the body that he's choosing to stay in. And he's acknowledging it would be better by far to die and be with Jesus. Uh And yet he had this willingness to remain because he knew there was something greater that God was doing. And it's not this dejected, man, I guess I got to stay. Like, (laughs) yes, you get this sense of like inexpressible joy in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the hard call, the hard choice. Because this, again, is the guy who later on says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I've learned the secret to being content in all situations. And so we're being invited to something beyond us. But it can be hard in those moments where the suffering is the deepest. That's right. Yeah. What kept you moving forward? Or maybe you weren't moving forward, but you weren't giving up. (laughs) What kept you from giving up in those deepest, darkest of moments? Well, sometimes it was just Alicia not letting me. I told you she's way smarter than me. I mean, there were times along the way where I just wanted to give up. There were times that were incredibly dark and I got very depressed and she was fighting for me. She probably has fought for me more than I've actually fought for her. Like that sounds so messed up, Mm. but it's real. Like she's carried my burden in ways and maybe I don't give myself enough credit that I've carried her burden. But she wouldn't let me just like fold it in. And I guess to properly answer your question is... A realization that the church is missing it and not that like I need to carry the banner for the church. Look at the impact that Paul had despite all of this pain and all of the disability. Like this guy couldn't even write his own letters. He'd get to the end of some of these letters and say like, oh, here I'm writing in my own handwriting. It's gigantic and disgusting looking, Mm -hmm. but I just want you to know that it's me pressing on and continuing despite all that he was going through and considering it joyful. Like so much of the scripture says, rejoice in our suffering. And he did that. And I think for me, like I'm no Paul, I'm super like there's Paul and then there's like the other end of the spectrum. And that's kind of where I'm living. But I realized that the church looks really disgusting to outsiders. Mm -hmm. And we know this, like that's not a surprise, but I think what lives at the center of that is how we respond to suffering. Mm. That we have this joy, joy, joy down in our heart where (laughs) we trumpet like how much we love Jesus and how we can't wait to get to heaven. Like 
oh, heaven's going to be great. I get to be with Jesus and streets of gold and it's amazing. But the moment suffering happens, we lose our joy. Like where, where did that joy go? It's gone. To outsiders, it feels like a show. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like what seems apparent to me is, all right, if we want to get to heaven, if that's our goal, and that's a good goal, I'm good with that. How do we think we're going to get there? I think it's death and tribulation, right? That's the path to it. We have to suffer to get there. So we have to do it with Jesus. We have to do it with joy. We have to rejoice in this. We have to be consistent. If we're expecting that this is going to just be a nice, easy stroll to heaven, like, man, we should just quit now. Like, we really should. We shouldn't play church. Like, we should be armoring up for the struggle, for the suffering, and stay strong in the midst of it. Be real. Like, I love to be authentic. I share all the time with people when I'm down, when I'm confused, when I'm hurting, whatever. But at the same time, every psalm seems to start with despair and then end with joy and gratefulness. Mm-hmm. Every day is a challenge to find celebration, just like those psalms did, you know? Yeah. When you know someone could hear what you just said, like the path to eternity is suffering and be like, well, that sounds horrible and miserable. <laughs> and why would I want to sign up for that? Yeah. And the thing is, part of the reason that suffering on a broad level exists is because sometimes we're holding on to the wrong things. Yeah. Or sometimes we're not willing to die to the things that are less than abundantly more, that are less than full life. This is one of the things that we tapped into during the Bible study when we were hitting that verse about, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Mm-hmm. Is that our default is to think that death does have the victory. Death does have power over us. That's why we will avoid death, not just physical death, but death to our comfort, death to our way of life, death to any of these things. Yeah, We don't want death because death has power over us because of what we believe about it, that it can be the end all be all, that it can have victory. And what scripture says, what Jesus demonstrated is, no, Jesus is the one that has power and there is victory in that. This is why Jesus is able to invite us to die to self, Yes, to die to all the things that we love. He says, hate your father and mother and everything, not because he was Mm anti-family, but because he knows our propensity to hold to things other than him. Oh, that's so right. Yes. And I loved your story about the desire to have a child and the invitation to die to that. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that is such a hard thing. I mean, y'all were longing for this. You were longing for it so much that you had this unconventional opportunity to pursue it. Yeah. And then God spoke through a doctor (laughs) (laughs) to tell you to die to it. Man, dying to our dreams. Yeah. Dying to our deepest desires. The thing that we're living for better be good if we're dying to something that big. Yeah. And that's the kicker right there, right? Because- in the moments that we won't die is because we don't actually believe that God is good enough. Mm -hmm. We don't actually believe going back to your scenario of I could have a life where there's no suffering or I could have a life where God's doing abundantly more and there is suffering. Like God is so good that it makes the suffering worth (laughs) continuing to experience. Like God's invitation was representative of something so good, so abundantly more that you got to a point where you were willing to die to your dream of a child. Now, God decided to then give you a child. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. 
and for the pregnancy to work out all this, but you know, I don't want somebody to hear this and have the takeaway being, Oh, well, okay. So it means if I die to something, I'll still get the thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's terrible theology. That defies the whole point. Yes, <laughs> right. yes. And I hate sharing that story for that reason. Cause I know he doesn't do that always. This is the thing. We've got to name that because that is going to be in our mind. And it's still going to be a hope. Yeah. When you made that decision, there is probably still a part of you that's thinking of Abraham and Isaac. Mm. Like, okay, I'm going to take this dream up to the mountaintop and I'm going to pull out my knife, but the goat's going to appear. Like there's still that hope that maybe God won't make us die to it. But the invitation is to trust that God actually knows better. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the other thing that you had to die to and die to and die to was the dream you had when you got married. Mm -hmm. You had this person that you fell in love with and you had this dream for your life together that lasted all of three months (laughs) before it was something else. And you said something way early at the start. Mm. Things started to get better at one point. You said, you know, I had my wife back. And there's this part of you that was remembering what it was like, you know, what things used to be like. And okay, we're back to it. Somebody could hear that and then hear, oh, she got sicker again and, you know, he lost his wife. And so man, he must be miserable. But if they're really paying attention, yeah, threaded throughout this is your naming of how amazing she is. Yeah. So you haven't actually lost your wife. You lost the previous incarnation yeah. of your wife. Uh-huh. But God is doing something more, something better. She may no longer be who she was, Mm -hmm. but she never stopped being a child of God. Yes. She never stopped being someone made in God's image. And she never stopped being the person God invited you to love. Yes. So tell me about that. This experience of meeting over and over this new incarnation of who God's made your wife to be. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So good. So my coaching is centered around the expectation gap. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is a good time to introduce a little bit more clearly what that is. To me, the expectation gap is we have this high bar, these hopes and expectations for our lives, for our marriage, for our jobs, like whatever it is, we've got these expectations. But often our reality comes in underneath that. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't quite get to that space where we hoped it would be. Occasionally, our reality comes above our expectations. But what we do as, as humans is just reshuffle our expectations. We expect more. We strive for more. It's frankly probably part of the American dream is to always have an expectation gap. That gap is full of disappointment and dissatisfaction and distress and all the stuff that we hate. Like we need to shove that away from us. Like we hate it. We hate it. You know, some people ask me like, okay, well, do you just have lower expectations? Is that the way to win here? And I'm like, well, I mean, you can. It's certainly a strategy. I don't think it's a good standalone strategy. I don't think it's the best strategy for sure. I think, you know, as opposed to that, or even like just trying to manage the disappointment, dissatisfaction and distress, I think the real key comes in finding appreciation Mm -hmm. and gratefulness and celebrating what is real. So yeah, I haven't lost my wife. She's still here. I know exactly where she is. She's sitting on the couch in our living room right now, because that's kind of where life is right Mm -hmm. now when she's not in the hospital, when she's not getting any kind of treatment or therapy, like that's where she is. And that's hard for her because she's a three on the Enneagram. She's an A-type personality. Like she went to law school. Like she's capable of a lot. But, you know, right now for her, winning is staying awake through the Hallmark movie. Mm. That's hard. That reality is hard. But like I find gratefulness and things to celebrate as often as I can. And I try to do it in tangible ways, truly with Christ. 
that like, okay, tonight when I get home, like we're going to get to cuddle up on the couch and we're going to spend time together. And it's awesome. You know, she's sacrificed a lot of time with me to be able to start a ministry where I'm coaching people through their expectation gaps. I won't get home until late tonight because I've got 12 meetings set up. Like this is a real thing for me. The reality is, is that she cares as much about my ministry and about what Jesus has for us as I do. And and that's a pretty good reality. It's a really great reality. Not what I hoped for, but it's really great. You know, as long as I have Alicia, I will continue to be grateful. And then at some point I know I will lose her. She can't keep on this trajectory forever. Right now I can say, I think I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I can't promise that. Certainly I haven't crossed that bridge. I just lost my dad less than four weeks ago. I was out in your neighborhood to have his funeral and it hurts. I've cried a lot, but I'm okay because I can truly say I know where he is and I know that his suffering wasn't in vain. It made a difference for people. I could fill a whole podcast with, you know, the impact that his life and his suffering caused for other people. So I think that's the antidote is just staying rooted in reality and celebrating it. I mean, celebration is such a spiritual discipline. What I love about that is the invitation is to celebrate. And you're not saying to settle, right? This is our fear, I think, is that we get this idea in our mind of what the default of life is, what Mm. the best case scenario of life is, what things should look like, Mm -hmm. and then bad things happen. And then we can misunderstand your invitation to think, okay, we're choosing to willingly settle for this lesser thing as a way of honoring God. But what you're saying is not that. You're saying that God may actually know something we don't. Mm -hmm. He is inviting us to celebrate even if we don't fully understand why we're celebrating it. Even if we don't fully understand why this is actually better than our best case scenario. And you know, you said there's this point where a lot of people came around you and you felt like God was saying to you, hey, are you paying attention? And your response was, okay, I'm gonna try to pay attention, but I don't get what's going on. What I love is God said, are you paying attention? Not, do you understand? Yeah. God wasn't expecting you to get it at that moment. He was expecting you to open your eyes. That's right. It made me think of a passage that I really love. John 13. This is when the Last Supper is happening. Jesus decides that he wants to show the full extent of his love. And he shows this love by washing their feet. Mm -hmm. And they do not understand what he's doing. (laughs) And basically, Jesus saying to Peter, look, right now, you do not understand what I'm doing for you. But later you will. Mm -hmm. He wanted them to pay attention, but he knew they were not going to get it. So this is the invitation for us, right? We will have expectations for our lives. We will have dreams and desires and hopes. And we will have default understandings based on our culture or the people around us or all kinds of factors. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, we have a God that will invite us into spaces that we wouldn't have chosen that look less than our ideal situation. And it's like God saying, trust me, pay attention. Right now, you don't understand what I'm doing, but later you will understand. You have a deeper understanding now than you did at the start of this journey. Oh, a thousandfold. When it's like, what in the world, God? What in the world? And right now... (laughs) You have less of an understanding than you will 13 years from now. Amen to that. (laughs) Absolutely. Maybe somebody's listening right now and they're in a similar space that you were and are in. Mm -hmm. That it's not them that is physically suffering, but someone that they care about, someone that is close to them. And because of their proximity, because of the level of care that they have to provide, they feel like they're the suffering guy. They feel like they are a suffering guy or a suffering gal. 
what would you say to encourage the person that's in the lowest point of that space? Yeah. I mean, first of all, you're not alone. (laughs) There are other people that are suffering. I think it's really easy when you're in the midst of it to believe a narrative that no one would understand. No one could get this, but you're not alone. They might not be walking the exact same pain and suffering, Mm -hmm. but man, people are experiencing it all over the place. Uh, Like sin is real and sin is a suffering problem. So you are not alone. If that's you right now, you got to know that. I would also say, I would echo what you just said, Paul. Are you paying attention? Like, I love the title of your podcast. Mm -hmm. Where did you see God? Well, you can't see God if you're not paying attention. He operates in such a unique, mysterious way that you have to pay attention. And truthfully, you could pay attention like 100% and still miss most of it. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a spiritual realm that we just don't have a lens for. I would invite you to pay attention and try to find those places where God is working and moving. And the third thing I would say to someone ties in perfectly with that is like, just don't do it alone. Be authentic about what hurts. Be authentic about what is real. Because I think we will see God move often through God's people. Mm -hmm. To the point of Exodus 17, Moses's strength was not strong enough. He didn't invite Aaron and her on top of the mountain while the battle was happening in the valley. He said, I'm going to go up on the mountainside and I'm going to hold the staff of God up in the air. And we're not doing the video medium here on this thing. Like (laughs) My arms are up in the air right now in what I call victory pose. Mm -hmm. You can imagine if I ran a marathon, which I don't know if I could do right now, but it doesn't (laughs) matter if I came in first place or last place. If I finished it, my arms are going to go up in the air because I feel victorious. Yeah. Well, Moses' strength, he couldn't stay in victory pose all that long. He kept trying, but his arms got weak and weary. Mm -hmm. And having these guys, having these men that he didn't invite, like they just blitzed their way in and they're like, all right, are you ready for our help? They placed him on the rock, which is beautiful because that represents Jesus. And they stood next to him and they themselves got into victory pose to hold Moses into victory pose. Mm -hmm. And the battle in the valley was won. I just think we're going to see God move in that way because God's strength often comes from God's people. I'm convinced that that's real. So man, if that's you, I just want to encourage you with those three things and maybe extend an invitation because you weren't asking for a shameless plug, but I already did the book, Suffering Guy, it's awesome. (laughs) But my ministry, Tiller Coaching, I literally give away coaching. Like I raise my own funds to be able to make my time available to people that are aware of their own expectation gap people that are feeling the weight and the suffering of that gap. And I literally get to be Aaron's and hers with guys all over the country, like our mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm outing him here, but like I, I've, I've been coaching him for over a year now. And mm-hmm. to see how he's trusted God in the midst of his gaps, like, yes, I love doing that. I guess maybe there's a bonus fourth one. I've talked my way into this, Paul. <laughs> maybe the fourth thing that I want to say to that person is, is that you need to not take yourself too seriously. And you need to consider serving others because like I've found so much joy in serving others in this way. It takes away the sting of, of what's real, of the death that's happening around me. It really makes me connected with the Holy Spirit. And that's another great way to see God moving and God working. Yeah. I'd come back to that phrase that we said, are you paying attention? Because what you just said, that last piece is a recurring theme Mm. in these stories of suffering and these stories of brokenness is full life started to be realized when someone found themselves in that place of living into that verse of comfort others with the comfort you have received. Mm -hmm. And you're naming it overtly here. 
we don't have to wait for that to happen. Like that's the invitation that God is giving us is to step outside of ourselves and to be willing to serve and care for others. And we don't do it because we barely feel like we have the capacity to care for ourselves. So how in the world can we exert any care for others? Well, you probably can't. And the good Mm -hmm. news is you don't have to. Mm -hmm. God can care through you. He's looking for you to be an ambassador, a conduit, not to be the sole source, right? And so I love all that. And you mentioned the shameless plug thing. And the good news is, is I always create space for that. So let's say somebody does want to check out your book, does want to connect with your coaching. How do they go about doing that? Beautiful. Well, thesufferingguy.com. That is the book's website. You can connect with us there. You can see pictures of our journey. You can read a sample. You can see reviews. There's a connection to Amazon to go pick up a copy for yourself. It's available in paperback and Kindle. And if you could endure this voice for six and a half hours, (laughs) you can even get it on Audible. Burn that credit that you have sitting out there. (laughs) More importantly, I always feel whingy about that selfless plug because certainly there's money involved and I'm not in this for money. Let me prove it by saying, come and visit me at tillercoaching.org. And if you're aware of the expectation gap, you can literally schedule an appointment today. You and I will sit down. I'll share my story. I'll invite you to share your story. We'll talk about the reality of your expectation gap. And then we'll just see what God does. Because he does amazing, unusual things when we allow him and give that space and often When people are dumping on me in the realm of coaching, I'm like, oh my gosh, God, I've got nothing for this person. Like, how do I serve them? Like, what kind of wisdom do I have? I've got nothing. Like, please give me something, something. They're about to stop talking. (laughs) They're going to look at me and I got to say something. And eventually they stop talking. And then I open my mouth and usually God speaks through me because I've been panicking and praying the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh So it's a beautiful thing. So yeah, that's the plug right there. Tillercoaching.org. I would love to walk beside and be Aaron's and hers in people's journey. And as we close out, is there anything else in your heart that you feel like God's prompting you to share? Ooh, that's pressure. (laughs) We're already at an hour, it looks like. Man, I could could go for a long time. I think what you said about settling is very uniquely true Mm -hmm. because there's a fine line between settling and celebrating. I want to jot that down. Because I think that that's a topic that'll preach. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think we have to be cognizant of that. I think it's an invitation for me and everyone listening to process through that. Am I settling or am I celebrating? Ah, Paul, you're so good at this. You should keep this up, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think you got a future. Well, well, here's what I love. You know, something you said really resonated (laughs) with me too is, I want people to know that this is a real thing. You know, you said that you'll be coaching and somebody's sharing and in yourself, you're like, I've got nothing. Uh-huh. I've got nothing to offer them. God, you're going to need to show up. And God's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs> and he does. Because that's often what happens within the podcast. That's just why I pray at the start. Yep. I know it's not about my gifts or skills, or there is a limit to my gifts and skills. Yeah. There's no yeah. limit to what God can do. And mm-hmm. I can come in with a like a headache, like I came in with today, yeah. but I can release it to God and say, God, show up. And God can show up in beautiful ways. And this is not just accessible to you and your coaching meet in my podcast. Mm-hmm. This is accessible to anyone, Amen. including people who are in the midst of suffering that are like, God, I've got nothing. The opportunity is to invite God and then just to sit back and see what God does. That's right. Let's be honest. Sometimes he doesn't do much, or maybe we just can't see it, Mm -hmm. but it's been a consistently beautiful thing in my life. And it's why I can be thankful for the suffering. I know it sounds messed up, but I really feel like I can. You will walk, you will run, days 
Jim shared on multiple occasions how painful the suffering has been for him. And here's the reality. If he had never met his wife, he would have never endured that specific suffering because he only helped carry her suffering because of their relationship. I was brought to a passage in 1 Peter chapter 4 that says this, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So here's the reality. The people that Peter was talking to, Peter himself, endured suffering not because of them, but because of their relationship with Christ. In other words, if Peter had never met Jesus on that boat and accepted his invitation to follow and become a fisher of men, he wouldn't have endured the type of suffering that he ended up enduring for the rest of his life. Now, human logic would say that suffering is something to be avoided and would bring into question if those relationships were really the best choices. If you ask Jim if his relationship with his wife was the right choice, he would look you dead in the eyes and say, absolutely. He could be painfully and cognizantly aware of the suffering that he has endured because of what she has had to endure, and that would not change his answer. He loves his wife deeply, and he knows how God has brought them together and is working through them, even using the suffering for abundantly more than they could ask for or imagine. If you ask Peter if in light of his suffering he shouldn't have met Jesus, he would look you dead in the eyes and say, I would not change a thing. Peter endured a lot of suffering. Yet he knew his relationship with Jesus brought abundantly more than he could have asked for or imagined. So this verse is valuable because this same Peter is inviting others to endure suffering, suffering that they wouldn't have had to endure if they didn't profess a relationship with Jesus. But because they are professing it, they are being persecuted. And he is saying, rejoice, you are blessed. Do not be ashamed, but praise God. This is what he is saying to people in suffering, people who are suffering because of their relationship with another. COVID brain is making it hard for me to put these pieces together, but I'm going to trust that the spirit can do it. And I'm going to trust that you can catch this thread that while our logic would blame another, if their suffering causes our suffering, God is inviting us to a different way of looking at suffering. God is inviting us to trust him in the midst, to trust him to do abundantly more with the suffering itself. Jim and his wife's life are not what they imagined when they were saying their vows. But I hope it was clear to you in his voice and in his words that Jim is confident in the power and goodness of God in the midst of the suffering. He would not take the deal to have immediate comfort if it meant losing everything that God is doing because he knows his life is about more than comfort. And he knows that the invitation to love his wife is worth enduring anything. If you, like Jim, feel like a suffering guy or a suffering gal, Know that the suffering guy, Jesus, endured way more than we will ever endure. And yet he chose to do it because of his relationship with us, his love for us. He endured tremendous hardship because he knew there was something greater than his comfort. And he knew loving us was worth everything. And the same spirit that allowed him to endure is the one he sent as a helper to us. It's available to you now. So if you feel like you've got no more capacity, great. That means you are in the prime position to say, all right, God, here I am. I need you. Because when we stop trying to do this on our own, we can see that God is actually present and working. And all that's left is for us to ask ourselves, where did you see God?
Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the person who doesn't want to read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God? <laughs>